Welcome to another episode of the Wembley Way podcast. Tonight, Tom is your host with Nick and guest Jack Phillips for the best and worst of the week. Five things in the EFL, match spotlight, Brighton versus Newcastle, England Youth Watch, power rankings, and then finally, the listeners' questions. Does everyone just skip this? Don't I bother. Forget it. Welcome to Series 1, Episode 9 of the Wembley Way Podcast. Um, Nick, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. There's no uh, Monday night 6pm fixture this week, so I shouldn't be distracted by any Chelsea goals. So you've got my full attention this week. There is a game at 8 o'clock, and that's Liverpool. Um, and we've got Jack Phillips here. Jack, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Good to be back. I'm yeah. in a good mood, swiftly going to be probably soured later on but i'm excited for the next couple of hours yeah we've got uh as i say a couple of hours into the liverpool game and uh we're rattled through we don't want it to miss i don't think you'll be prepared to watch it on the phone on the side like nick uh true liverpool fan uh you know i mean it's nick's not happy with that or a true <laughs> podcast participant maybe for me you know dedica- that, that, dedication that, to the job if that was not the case paid job either well, if that was the case, then don't watch the, uh, the Chelsea game at all for me. Do you know what I mean? Commit to the episode, to the content. Watch no, Chelsea I'm task, you know. I can't do that. Sorry, did Nick just say this isn't paid? I'm going to switch to Have a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. It's in the post, Jack. Um, all right, wicked. Um, as we always do, the start of our best and worst of the week. Uh, Nick, what's your best of the week? Um, I think someone had to do it. Um, I'm doing it begrudgingly. Uh, it's going to be Lamella's goal um, yesterday, Sunday evening against Arsenal in the North London derby. I mean, obviously, I'm sure everyone who's listening has seen it. The Rabona goal uh, inside the area on the left-hand side with his left foot. Uh, nutmegging. Uh, was it Louise or was it... I can't remember who was it Louise or the it other defender. Louise. Uh, nutmegging Louise into the far corner. Um, I mean, the, the technique was just out of this world, the audacity to try it again out of this world. For me, what, what made the goal was like the, almost like the, sh- the stroke of the ball. It wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't hit with like power. It was like stroked into the corner with such, I mean, I, I couldn't even do that with my instep, let alone him doing it in a Rabona technique. It, it was, um, yeah, it's absolutely outrageous. Obviously the, his antics afterwards, uh, maybe clouded out some of the, uh, some of the plaudits we'll get for the goal, but I think you got to just you got to just clap that and and say fair play. That's an absolute outrageous out- attempt and an outrageous goal. It's a classic uh, Lamella performance. I think it had everything. Did it kind of encapsulate yeah, like him as a personality? He's an unbelievable technique. Uh, no one, you know, you can't take that away from him, and the goal proves that. But yeah, he's got this kind of like he's got these shark eyes and this like tendency to just like 
just be the most erratic player on the pitch at any yeah. given time and do stupid things. And I think he's probably deserving of his red with this like, a flailing arm. It's a yellow card, isn't it? And it's a double yeah. yellow. So you can see that coming, couldn't you? So yeah. Um, so no, that's uh, typical. Yeah. The, only, the only thing for me is that there is there's a slight twinge on the goal for me, which which is that go on. If he had any right foot, so let's say, let's put him up there with like with like a one of the best players in the world, giving you your Ronaldo's, your, your Messi's, people like that, who have a weaker foot, right? If he had anything of a right foot, he doesn't try that. So it's almost sure. like the best the best players in the world with the be- best technique on both feet wouldn't score that goal because they don't have the inability to not play with their right foot like he does. I think there was a stat on, in the game yesterday it was something like he's, he's made 246 passes this season and 14 of him with his right foot, which is madness. Um, but, but, Putting that aside, the goal and the technique is just ridiculous. So you, I think, even though there's that there's that slight down on the goal for me, which is that the best players in the world wouldn't score that goal for that reason, you've still got to sit there and go, yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. So yeah, I'll, I'll give him that. And and as we said off air before, it's obviously his second time for Spurs in the Europa League. Uh, his third time in his career. Um, one once in the uh, in the academy for River Plate, which was almost even even. I'm not going to say better because we'll discuss that later, but even more outrageous because it was like a one-on-one. He was sort of running. He was on the move. Yeah, it was, it was insane. insane. Um, again, sh- like showing the inability to use his right foot, but showing absolute quality technique. So Lamella's goal was my best of the week. Yeah, it's a real odd player, but uh, I love him for it, I think. I'm quite glad that he didn't win the game, though, because I think that would have just been like on a DVD or like on a, on a key ring or something. Don't so, do that. Sold in the, sold in the Spurs mag, mega store. So I'm, I'm quite glad that the, the result and the, and the sending off has overshadowed it. So I can, I can look at it and go, yeah, that was really good. But knowing that it didn't win you the game or anything. So listen, we've got Carlin Cup. All fi- round. We've got Carlin Cup finalist key rings. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But uh, the meta goal, don't take it too far. Uh, Jack, <laughs> what's your best of the week? Uh, my best of the week is going to be Dwight McNeil and Burnley. Uh, picked up a really, really good away win uh, at Goodison Park against Everton. 2-1, Dwight McNeil, young English player, left-footed. You know, a bit of a rarity. Got It was a lovely goal. It was an absolute lovely goal. And he uh, Burnley was sort of diddling along down the right-hand side, trying to work the cross in as a surprise. Um, Everton defended it well sort of breaks to McNeil on the edge of the box. He beats one man and just curls it past Jordan Pickford. He could have had long arms and he still wouldn't have saved it. <laughs> it was a it was a great goal. And, you know, everyone looks at their fixture list every year and sort of sees Burnley and think, oh, God. But this was a bit of a different Burnley performance. They, they had a lot of chances. They played some all right football and it was just nice to see, um, you know, them get a, a different kind of win is what I would say. Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. I um I criticised Burnley a few weeks ago for being so drab, boring and, and one-dimensional. And actually, they came out, in the, particularly in the first half of that match against Everton, and played really well on the, on the front foot. And I was actually quite impressed with it. And, and the goal, it, it would have been my best of the week uh, had Lamella not popped up last night as well. Um, yeah, I thought it was an outrageous goal. It reminded me a little bit of Cantwell's goal as well for Norwich, if you've seen that. It was sort of very similar mm. shape of that. Yeah. Um, I, I was, always find it interesting with left-footed players. I don't know whether they're... It's because their their technique is so much better because they because they're left footed. It's almost like they got more technique than right footed players, or or just because we're used to seeing right footed players that the left footed technique is sort of so different. So it sort of almost looks better or stands out. I think left footed but... players, their striking and technique, and sometimes generally it's how they play, it's certainly more flair there or more like fluidity in the movement. 
Yeah. I, I kind of, I think I agree with that. Because it's yeah. rarer, right? There's just less left-footed players. So when you see, it's not a goal you see as much. You don't see that many with the left foot yeah. in that manner compared to the, the cutting on the right and curl it, which, you know, you mm. see those sorts of goals near enough every week. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But yeah, I agree with that. And great goal, good performance. Yep. Nicky, your worst of the week. So my worst, I'm going to give it to Sheffield United. Um on two fronts, the performance against Leicester and the decision to sack Chris Wilder when they have sacked him. Um, it's such I, a strange not, time, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what I was going to go into. I'm not necessarily that concerned about them sacking him because of obviously where they are. But I feel like either sack him before Christmas and give a new manager January and the rest of the season to try and pull off a miracle and stay up. Or just leave it to the end of the season um, and give him a, sort of a little bit of a send-off when the fans are back at the stadium. Um, he's obviously a club legend and given given that send off that he that he deserves. Um I mean they've, they've obviously been hit this season with no fans, I think, more than anyone because they rely on that passion of the fans and injuries. I think they've had a almost a completely different back three for most of this season compared to last season. I, I think he's probably a victim of overachieving last year. Um if last year they'd gone straight back down and came say nineteenth or eighteenth, something like that. Um, I don't think he would have been sacked. I think he would still be there and they'd, they'd look to rebuild again and, and try and come back up with him. But I think because they did so well last season, it looks even worse this season. Um, um, last season, it was a miracle. I mean, their squad is diabolical when you actually compare it to other squads in the Premier League and, and, and the players they've got. Um, yeah, as I said, I think the timing seems team is strange. Um, Tyndall was obviously coming in on a short-term deal, but I'm not really sure what that means. So they're not they're not saying to him, that come in, assess your options, tell us what you want in the market in the summer and kick on from there because they're not giving him that long-term deal. So it's, it's sort of bringing someone in to make a difference in the end of the last couple of months of the season when they can't make a difference because they're always going to come last anyway. So a bit strange. Um, for me, the performance against Leicester, you, you sometimes expect a bit of a bounce back with a new manager. I know Tinder wasn't necessarily in the dugout, but when a manager is sacked, you sometimes, sometimes expect that bounce back. They were absolutely abysmal against Leicester. The worst I've seen them all season, actually, Sheffield United. And this is a Leicester without uh, Harvey Barnes and Madison as well. Um, at half-time, Sheffield United have had, had two touches in Leicester's uh, area and had exactly zero expected goals. By half-time, that increased to three touches in Leicester's area and 0.1 expected goals. So, I mean, progress, was, though. Yeah, progress. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, so for me, the whole package of the sacking, the timing of the sacking, and the performance that followed uh, is my worst of the week. I don't disagree with that. Jack, your worst of the week? So my worst of the week is going to be Jose Mourinho. I'm just fed up. I'm really, really bored of him now. You know, especially after what Pochettino did at Spurs, just to see the way that they played against an Arsenal team that, quite frankly, Spurs should be beating. I don't think anyone would really disagree man for man. I, I, you know, Spurs are better. Just the nature of the way that he set up, um, you know, obviously we know Spurs went went up, went one nil up and it was a great goal. But Arsenal really dominated the game. Um, and this isn't a good Arsenal team. And it's just... I feel like Jose Mourinho is wasting Harry Kane's prime. I, I see so many similarities between what's going on with Harry Kane at Spurs and what happened with Steven Gerrard at Liverpool. You're wasting a player of such amazing quality 
And, you know, you, Spurs have got all these great attacking players. You know, Lucas Moura, obviously we know Son went off. Um, Huang Min Son, Harry Kane. Just be a bit, you know, Gareth Bale. Just go for it. Surely it's better to go to Arsenal and attack. And if you lose, you, you can say, well, we, we tried to win the game. Than the manner in what they in which they played, I'm just really, really he's just lost his any sort of magic that he still had for me is 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 gone now, and I think he's he won't be at Spurs next year, and I really think he he can't he isn't changing with with the the way the game has has changed, you know the tactical way that he plays it just doesn't work anymore. It's so negative. I just yeah I'm really really sick of him to be completely honest. Yeah, I agree. I think. Uh... It's the approach, which is the most disappointing thing. Um, I understand uh, prior to the uh, the turn of the year, it was working, this kind of negative approach, surrender the ball, um, hit him on the counter-attack. But he's done a couple of things wrong there. Um, that you know Maybe the approach was the right approach at the start of the game, but as soon as Sun gets injured, you kind of take away that that um, uh, counter-attack option in that you lose the pace in, in driving forward. Lamella is not going to do that, and Lucas Moura similarly. They're not off the last man. Uh, running into space uh, kind of players and so he should have changed the strategy at that point and try to retain the ball Lamella would help you do that Lamella's decent on the ball um giving the you know distributing it perhaps not but he's quite sticky on it um similarly uh or sorry uh, additionally um the decision to play Doherty for me was a killer oh. blow the guy yes. I mean I'm not one to dig out Spurs players in fact I'm I, you know, I hardly ever do it um but he really is just looking out of his depth and that's a nice way of putting it um and you can see that arsenal targeted docket as well which is sad to watch um how many times on that left side our right side were they coming you know, were they getting in behind um and it came you know that their goal um their first goal yeah was for, for a move um which 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 saw i believe uh, smith row i think beat docket yeah. uh, on that side and it's just you saw it coming and it, it was uh, jose's inability to uh to to change it up when that was clearly what was going on. Aurier is um, yeah got mistaken him, but he's physically stronger. He's a more uh, he's a quicker player, and you'd think um, would would be much more inclined to deal with that threat uh, which they've got on that, it's just, on that it, flank. It's not Doherty's fault. He's not good enough. No, yeah, it's not. Do, like yeah. Do you feel sorry for him? I, I'm, I'm gonna stand up for him a little him bit here. I'm gonna stand up for him a little bit. In that, it reminded me a little bit of Trent when he's defending for Liverpool. In in that. Yeah, his defending wasn't good enough, right? His defending was not good enough, for, the, for particularly for the goal, but for in earlier on stages as well, where he was getting beaten by, by Tierney one-on-one. But he had zero help as well. And Tierney and Smith-Rowe were doubling up on that side. And Bale, whether by instruction to stay high, or whether because he didn't notice or spot or want to help his team out, out, teammate out, did not help out at all. So I think that, yeah, I, I agree with you, Doherty isn't good enough, and he didn't play well enough against Arsenal. But he also wasn't helped by anyone. Um, and and because you were playing Ndombele and Hoiberg in midfield, it meant Hoiberg couldn't really go over and help too much um, like he would if he was playing alongside, say, Sissoko, because Sissoko could mount the middle of the pitch. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think that he didn't really get, get too much help in that. But I agree that Bao could have helped him more, but I, don't, I honestly don't think that he was instructed to do so. Um, Docker, he had a good... Well, Mourinho came out publicly and said he had a good defensive performance against Zagreb. Obviously, Zagreb being a different kettle of fish. Um, 
so you know he was like maybe maybe um Doherty's um performance changed his mind and he, yeah Aurier ends up sitting out of both ties which was you'd think would be a bad move right you'd have Aurier play against Greb and then if you preferred Doherty Doherty would then play against Arsenal so I think yeah Doherty's performance has turned him maybe he thought he was capable of um as you say uh, being left out in that right back position with not much help um, and it actually reminded me the next thing that Jose did wrong was take bow off and the hour thinking, you know, this is how we secure that right side instead of thinking about oh, perhaps we're losing. I think at the time when we drawing, uh, no, I think we're losing. Yeah. yeah and, right. uh, yeah. And he thinks I don't, I'm not you know, taking off Gareth bow to shore up a, a right flank is the best way of yeah, turning around a match. Like I can't, I, can't, I don't see it myself. Yeah. Um, I think that epitomizes the negative approach, um, that, yeah, I'd say maybe it's worked. Over- he dug him out after the match as well, didn't he? What bow? Well, he sort of said important players were, weren't doing their jobs and were hiding, didn't he? Well, there you go. Maybe Bow was instructed to help him out more and hasn't. Maybe that was the, maybe that's the case. That's what I mean, though. Just quickly, imagine accusing Gareth Bow of hiding a player <laughs> who has scored probably the greatest goal I've ever seen in the European Cup final outside of Zidane against Bayer. Great shout. Like, let's just stop with the nonsense. Gareth Bow is not a player that hides ever. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I, 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 the only thing, I, the only thing I would say at the end of that conversation is that I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm ninety percent sure it is, it's tactics in terms of sitting deep and dropping off. But at times, even Jose seems frustrated at the, um, at the team being so deep and so standing offish um, after after the match. I can't tell whether that's him just trying to save face or whether the team. Are just lacking in confidence and and sort of the belief to push on and press, um, like the last ten minutes, for instance, Spurs looked so much better and they had ten men, mm. uh, and that's because the players came out and, and played that way. And, and I can't imagine that was a, a, a quick change in system from Jose or anything like that. I think that was just the players having nothing to lose, and therefore they had that belief and confidence to go for it. Uh, for me, right, whether Jose is yeah. telling him explicitly or he's creating an atmosphere in which the players are naturally doing that, yeah, 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 it's both yeah. Jose's fault. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so for me, like, neither or, you know, yeah. it's uh, Jose's fault and he, yeah, he's to blame with uh, what's happening right now. Um, that's it for our best and worst of the week. Um, it's that time of the week. It's five things in the EFL. Five things in the EFL. Five Beleaguered Brum. It looks like Birmingham City are sleepwalking into relegation to League One. Ten years after winning the League Cup final against Arsenal, they lost 3 0 at home to Bristol City at the weekend, their 12th loss out of 18 at St Andrews this season. City have had off the field issues for years and have flirted with relegation in recent seasons. It finally looks like this will be the year they drop. City are a place and three points above the drop zone, but with four of the top six to play in their next four league games, and Rotherham directly below them, having four games in hand, it's looking bleak for Brum fans. Aitor Karanka is also rumoured to have left his role as manager over the weekend. Kenny Jacket told to get his coat. So following the Papa John's trophy loss to Salford, Kenny Jacket was sacked as Portsmouth manager. Jacket leaves Pompey after almost four years in charge with the club's seventh in League One. They're ten points off the automatic places and two points off the playoff places. So Pompey was seen as the title favourites at the beginning of the season, however they've been really disappointing, especially at home. 
Batten Park, so normally a fortress for them, has only seen six wins from 18 so far. Daniel Stendhal and Neil Harris are the early frontrunners for the job, but whoever comes in will be expected to win promotion still. Evergreen Ellison 42-year-old left-winger and absolute veteran Kevin Ellison went viral at the weekend after he scored the third for Newport against former club Morecambe in a 3-1 win. After his goal, Ellison ran straight over to Morecambe manager Derek Adams and celebrated in his face. After the game, Ellison said he doesn't like Derek Adams, but why? Ellison spent nine years at Morecambe, and successful years actually, but was released six months after Adams was appointed as manager. Adams froze Ellison out and made him train alone, and Ellison was on the verge of retiring and working in a factory before Newport gave him a one-year deal. He is proving that age is just a number. One to watch, Morgan Rogers. This week's one to watch is Lincoln left-winger Morgan Rogers, who has been on loan at the Imps since January from Manchester City. Those of you who play football manager might be aware that Rogers fulfills his promise on the game and he's already showing early signs of fulfilling his potential in League One. The dynamic winger is most comfortable playing on the left, however, he is capable of playing across the front line. He is proving a handful for League One defenders who struggle to cope with his dribbling abilities. Since his arrival two months ago, Rogers has already netted five times, most of which are spectacular strikes. Let's hope he fulfills his city potential like Phil Foden and not like Michael Johnson. Silverware on the menu in the EFL Sulphur City and Sunderland got a slice of silverware at the weekend as they both won the Papa John's Trophy. That's right, they both won it. Salford held their nerve to beat Portsmouth 4-2 in a penalty shootout in the delayed 2020 final on Saturday. The final was delayed by 342 days from the original date last April after the first Covid lockdown prevented the 1920 final being played last season. Sunderland beat Tranmere 1-0 on Sunday in the 2021 final, meaning Salford's reign as champions lasted a whole 24 hours. Five things in the EFL, five things in the EFL, five things. You definitely smashed it. Cheers, Shell. That was five things in the EFL. What are your thoughts, Nicky? I cannot believe he hasn't put Nathaniel Shalova's goal in there for Watford at the weekend. Uh, ridiculous, ridiculous feet on the edge of the box and a great finish to, to cap it off as well. But um, there's some good choices in there. Um, he mentioned Michael Johnson at the end, the old City player. And uh, it reminded me of a couple of players we missed out from last week's underachievers chat, which was Michael Johnson himself. And another one who someone pointed out afterwards, which was Ravel Morrison. Uh, yeah. um, we completely forgot about those two promising youngsters who never really made it but um, no thanks again Sheld good content absolutely next up then so we've looked at uh, the best and worst of the week five things in EFL from last week now we're going to look forward to uh, next uh, week's fixtures uh, with our match spotlight which is 16th versus 17th it's Brighton versus Newcastle real uh, relegation dogfight uh, match up here uh, Jack what are your thoughts um, this is quite an interesting tie because you've got two teams that are, you know, in, like, as you said, in the relegation dogfight, but with two very contrasting styles. Um, I believe that Brighton are underachieving. I think they they should be a little bit higher up. They've got some really good players. Yves Basuma in midfield, Tarek Lamptey, Neil Mapai, 
obviously Adam Lalana as well. I, I think that they've underperformed lately. Um, and obviously Newcastle, where do you begin? Um, very sort of stodgy team. You know, I watched the game against Aston Villa. They weren't great. And it's going to be interesting. You know, you, you have to, to fancy Brighton. Um, but if it, it's a, it is a, the classic six-pointer down there. Because if, you know, either side loses and then one of the teams below them wins, it just congests that even more. Um, but you can't beat these types of games where, you know, neither team is doing particularly well. Neither team has much confidence. And it's going to be, you know, sort of not necessarily what qualities win the game for me. It's going to be more sort of the intangibles, the stuff that you can't measure, who goes into it wanting more, wanting it more, who believes that they can do it, who's harder, you know, tougher in the tackle. Um, and I'm really actually looking forward to watching this game. Dicky? Yeah, same. Um, I, 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 I'm hesitant to say Brighton shouldn't be where they are because I think the league never lies. But but they've got the high, the seventh highest expected goals in the Premier League uh, and, and the 14th highest uh, goals scored. Um, in the Premier League, they've got the most, the biggest difference between their expected goals and natural goals. So it just shows that they are creating those chances. Just they just can't put anything away. And I think even the win against Southampton was evidence of that weekend, where um, they missed some, a few other glorious chances to to increase their lead. So yeah, for me, Brighton will dominate this game, and if they put their chances away, they will win the game. Um, I think Lalana and Welbeck being fit again and hopefully getting a run in the team will will help with that. Um, two players who have done it. At a, potentially higher level than well definitely a higher level than, than Brighton um so yeah for me I, I can't see anything other than a Brighton win and I think that if um if Brighton do win um and Fulham have got lead at the weekend which I can see them potentially nicking something from that as well I think it really could uh spark the um massive relegation fears for Newcastle obviously they're already in it but I've got a feeling that if they lose to Brighton at the weekend they uh they could well be doomed Jack, what's your uh, prediction for this one? It's a hard one. Like my 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 head says says Brighton to win, but Newcastle just got that knack of when you sort of think, oh, they're in big trouble. They they go and randomly get a result, yeah. um, which is I don't know. They've always just managed to do it. I'm gonna go with a two-one Brighton. I'm gonna go in my head. Um, a lot of what Nick said. I, I just believe in Brighton's attacking players and. Just Newcastle's just, they're just so out of form and the way that they're playing, um, I think Brighton will create enough to, to nick the win in the end. And Nicky? I just can't see Newcastle getting a goal, to be honest, unless it's from a set piece. So I'm going to go I'm going to go 2-0 to Brighton. So you discussed our predictions for the match. What about for the, uh, yeah, the relegation itself? Um, obviously, only three teams can go down. Uh, they started at Southampton in 14th they're on 33 points as are Burnley then Brighton in 16th on 29 Newcastle 28 and then a relegation zone itself Fulham 26 West Brom 18 and yeah Lonely Sheffield United down in uh, with 14 points do you think then if you, if you have to put your hat on it who is going to take that um, 18th spot is it uh, let's assuming West Brom and Sheffield United are destined to, for the drop is it is it yeah is it Southampton Burnley Brighton or Newcastle if you've got if you've got to pick one uh, we'll start with you Jack um, I'm a massive Scott Parker fan, so I'm going to say that he keeps Fulham up. And looking at those other teams, to me, the only really one I can see that will go down is Newcastle. You know, Steve Bruce. Ugh. Yeah, I think they're gone. <laughs> Nick, what do you reckon? 
Yeah, I agree. Southampton are too good. Sean Dyche knows how to win games. Brighton just needs to put some chances away. I think it'll be close between Fulham and Newcastle, but I think I think if Fulham if Fulham can find some goals, I think Newcastle are doomed. And and that is damning. Sorry, uh, Sam Dunn, our guest on episode eight of the Wembley Way, who will be hearing this, um, yeah, in despair. I imagine. I think he agreed last week, actually. I think he did. It's almost like it'll be a, a real fuck you to, uh, to Mike Ashley as well. And I don't think it's the fuck you that Newcastle fans would want, but for football's sake, you know, uh, punishing him for uh, the way he's treating mm. that club and their fan base. All right, that was a uh, match spotlight. Next is England Youth Watch. This week, we're discussing uh, Sheffield United's number 24, £23 million signing from Liverpool, England under-21 striker, Ryan Brewster. Jack, as a Liverpool fan, um, what were your thoughts on Ryan? He's like one of the most confusing footballers because even I've never really known what to what to make of him because he did absolutely amazing for our youth teams, scored loads of goals. And then whenever he got an opportunity in the first team, he looked just unable to play professional football almost. It was really weird. Mm. Then we obviously sent him off to lo- on loan to Swansea, where I believe he played, I don't know the name of who the manager was, but it was someone who had, who had managed him previously at youth levels. Um, Cooper, and, Steve Cooper, is it? Yes, that's the he, one. He, and he, he, didn't he win the England Under-17 World Cup with him? Yes, it's correct. Under, tw- under 20s, right? With um, 20, sorry, Carl 20s, Peters yeah. and yeah, yeah. Lookman, I think. Yeah, and that was that was the main reason why Brewster chose to go to Swansea and he goes to Swansea and he does really, really well. And um, this summer, there was all these sound bites coming out of the club that we're not going to sign any attacking players like Diogo Jota. It was going to be Brewster's time. Sure. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's sold for £23 million. I don't know if it's us pulling the wool over you know, a newly promoted team's eyes like we did with Bournemouth. Every summer we seem to just rinse them <laughs> for money just for absolute nothing players. But, uh, is it Ibe? Ibe? Jordan Ibe. Yeah. We sold Jordan Ibe <laughs> and Solanke. Brad Smith and Solanke for like a combined £45 million, pounds, I believe. I mean, how are you getting any money for Brad Smith? Is beyond me. We got on. six million for him. Anyway. Oh, come off it. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he's gone to Sheffield United and it's just not not worked for him and He's, he's one of these players that's really highly rated. He's really highly rated and he scored goals for Swansea. He's got pace to burn and he is a natural finisher. And if you've got that natural finishing, you can go a long way in football. But I'm hoping now that Wilder is gone, he will get a real run of starts and a real run of games and hopefully he can start scoring some goals. Yeah, he's played 20 times this season. I think he's only started, he's started nine, nine, of, them, nine yeah. of them. Yeah, but he's yeah. obviously yet to score. Uh, Nick, have you any any thoughts on Brewster? Yeah, well, from, firstly, I've got to plug Chelsea's academy. Uh, he was he was he was Nick from the academy, was he? By Liverpool, I think at fifteen, yeah, fifteen, yeah. Um, and twenty five percent of England's under twenty one squad outfield players are from Chelsea's academy as well. Right, so I mean, is this a, a Chelsea England youth watch yeah, or well, Brewster? Chuck it in there anyway. Um, yeah, but no, I, I I've watched Brewster um, at youth level and and always been impressed by him, especially his finishing ability. Never really watched him. Well, I can't say I've, I've focused on him too much when he's when he has made a, um, an appearance for Liverpool's first team. And and to be honest, I didn't watch loads of him at Swansea last year, just obviously highlights and things like that. Um, but 
nine league starts isn't enough for anyone to prove anything in the Premier League. Um, I thought the signing was strange at the time, to be honest, because he just doesn't suit Sheffield United's style of play. They, they play the ball long and forward and quickly, so they require someone to hold it up, make up the ground, and then link link other players in, into the match. And 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 he's not, that's not his game. His game's in the box. He's a finisher. Um, I think. Like it begs the question of how how many goals was he ever going to score for a team that that create the lowest amount of chance in the Premier League? I don't think that was ever going to be that many. Mm. Um, to put it into context, using XG again, his expected goals this season is one point four in the whole season. So he's not he's not missing chances. He's just not getting chances. Yeah. Um. So I don't think you could, we can really judge him and, and sit here and say he's he's done badly, he's done well, or anything like that. I just think that it's a strange signing. And to be honest with you, I'm not really sure where it's going to go from here. Um, obviously, Sheffield United will go down, and I, I presume he will stay. No, I'll be good uh, for him, though. Yeah, and I think he will score bagfuls in the Championship next season, but I don't think that necessarily changes much. For me, I, I was going to say I think for, like, the move was a little bit too early for him in terms of Premier League, but maybe it yeah. wasn't. Maybe it's was just the wrong team. Um, if he was in a Brighton, for instance, who were creating hatfuls of chances, he'd probably be, probably be on 10 Premier League goals this season by now. So, mm. um, you see, yeah, it's easy to say he moved too quickly, but. I don't think it would have been bad for him to stay at Swansea for an extra year or even stay at Liverpool and, and be back up um, and make an appearance here and there. But um, no, I, I like him as a player, as a finisher. Um, whether he'll quite hit the heights as, as he's expected to do, I don't know. But um, I think he's been unlucky in the sense that he's at the wrong team. I think as well, it's very important to say when you are a young player, and you do transfer, you leave when you join another club. It, it's so important that you make sure you pick the right team. Yeah. Because if you go back just 24 months, the hype around Ryan Brewster to what it is now on the back of moving to Sheffield United, which, as you said, it was clearly not a great fit. And he's essentially really lost a year's development, mm. which is not what you want. It's so important that when you're at that age to be playing football in a system that suits you, getting regular game time and going to a team like Chef U, like you said, with their style of play, being in a relegation dogfight, it's not ideal for someone so young to be, you know, relied upon. And the Sheffield United fans are looking at looking at him and going, we spent £23 million on you and you've not scored a goal. Yeah. And it's just not an ideal situation for anyone at all. And it was, I think he was ill-advised to, to join them in the end. Yeah, I completely agree. That I mean, that those three, four years between the ages of eighteen and twenty-two for any young player are just vital to get as many minutes, as many senior minutes as possible in a system that, that suits you. And and that, and he hasn't had the minutes he needs, and he, and he's not in the system he needs. So, yeah, for me, weird signing. That's England Youth Watch. Next up, uh, we continue to look at the national side with our England power rankings. But uh, before we look at the uh, the uh, power ranking table um, with Nick's movers and shakers, we first have some questions that are power, uh, power rankings related. And our first is for Nick uh, by Ryan McSweeney at RyanMux92, who asks, who's your Theo Walcott pick for the Euros this summer? I.e. 16 or 17 year old breakthrough player. I'm not sure there'll ever be someone like like Walcott again where they haven't made an appearance in the Premier League before being picked for an England squad and by it's Premier, mental, League, Premier League 
Premier League or another European top league nowadays as England players yeah, are going abroad. Ridiculous that. Like even someone like Bellingham, who you would say like this is really early for him to get in the squad, he still made like quite a lot of appearances in the Bundesliga and the Champions League before even being considered. So mm. um, I don't think we'll ever see that again. I think the closest thing we'll have to him is is Bellingham, um, and given today's under twenty one squad announcement with Bellingham being omitted, this obviously means that. Bellingham is going to be included in the March friendly squads, um, which means Southgate is clearly considering him seriously for the Euro squad in the summer. So you heard it um, here first on the Wembley Way. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think he could be our closest thing to to the, to the Walcott of, of the Euros this summer. Um, I, I quite like including younger players, even if they're not going to play, for the sake of giving him tournament experience. Um, uh, I, I, I normally favour in terms of goalkeepers, like a third goalkeeper who's young and not quite upcoming who you know is going to be a potential first choice for the for the next tournaments. Um, but but Bellingham clearly is going to be in the squad of the World Cup if he carries on his his trajectory. So why not include him now uh, over someone else who, who might not play any minutes at all? So, um, but Nick, me... if you had to choose someone, right, who hadn't or hasn't played barely any professional minutes to be in the England squad in the Euros... So they haven't made any any sort of top well, league appearance. Because I would suggest that Bellingham isn't a Theo Walcott pick. No, no, I, as Ryan I, said, I, don't, I don't think they'll ever be a, a Theo Walcott pick. Um, I have one. Fantastic. Go on, you go first, and I'll think. So my one is he's 17 years old, Harvey Elliott. Oh, here he is. Now, yeah. I know yeah, the Liverpool fan says Harvey Elliott. I yeah. get it. Played 31 times for Blackburn on loan this season at 17 years old. He's got nine assists and five goals. It's a goal involvement nearly every other game. He's a special talent. He With a foul mouth as well. Yeah, uh, we get it. He's got a bad haircut. His personality isn't great. I get all of that. And I'm he mocks Harry, he's a, mocks Harry Kane, England yes, captain. He's not, a, he's not a great human being. I fully understand <laughs> that. But on a football pitch, he has the potential to be... Very, very, very special. Uh, it's 16 when he come on for Liverpool. He's, he's played like little passes and you just think he's got it. You know when you see yeah. someone just make a pass that you think there's not many players in this Liverpool team right now that would try that pass and he's trying it at 16. Yeah. And I agree with what Nick said. I, w- I would always take one to two players that you know you're not going to play them. But for tournaments down the road, for them to get that experience and to be in and around the squad, I'm. I can say to you right now, I'm fairly sure Harvey Elliott is going to be an England regular in four to six years. I'm that confident in his ability as long as he stops the the stupid stuff off the pitch. So I, I would yeah. I would consider taking him personally. Yeah, and I only say what I said in jest. He's only it's what 16, 17, maybe even younger at the time, and that we all make stupid mistakes when we're young. Um, mm. Nick, have you now got your uh, Theo Walcott pick? Yeah, I've got one. I don't think it's as glamorous as that. Um, but um, I, to be honest, it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not as good as that one. But I would say there's one player, and I'm, I've got my Chelsea bias hat on here. But one player who's really impressed me this there's season. There's a trend here, isn't there? Yeah, one player who's really impressed me this season, um, and it's a, it's an England weak spot for me, which is the left centre back spot. And um, the player is Mark Gerhey, who's on loan at Swansea. Um, similar right. story to Brewster actually. Um, in that uh, Steve Cooper's still at Swansea. Um, has got a couple of young players there playing really well. Some on loan, some permanent. Um, and yeah, Gerhi has basically not put a foot wrong all season. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, he could save Chelsea a lot of money in the summer if if Tuchel is inclined to bring him in. Um, 
So yeah, why not? If you got you got people like Mings, you got people like Cody, Dyer, Keane, who could all fill that spot if you wanted to. But ultimately, none of them are probably going to play. So mm. why not chuck someone else in the squad who's not going to play but can gain some experience? Yeah, good question, Ryan. Like that. Um, next one is for Jack. Um, it's actually our comp- uh, competition winner, Ollie at Ollie Bear One Hundred, who asks, uh, "What is a realistic outcome for England in the Euros, and what place finish would be considered success at the tournament?" See, Nick, I think you've answered this question in episodes gone by, so this is why I wanted, mm. yeah, to see what Jack thought about this one. Um, I don't want to come across as a misery here. You know, I'm all about the hope and joy of, of England going into a tournament and hopefully doing well. Um, if we're being realistic, and I am a realistic individual, you have to remember that Gareth Southgate is the manager. So that straight away, you're ruling out winning any sort of international competition. <laughs> oh, God. You could, yeah, but it's, I know it's, he's nice. He looks great in a waistcoat. You know, we won on penalties. It was great for him. But you're not going to win an international tournament with him as your manager. So that's gone. Are they going to make the final? Ugh, probably not. I would say realistically, uh, quarterfinals would be my minimum. I'd hope that they get to the semis. I think the nation and the footballing fans in this country would minimum would want a semi-final appearance. Yeah. But ultimately, I, I struggle to see with England's defence and goalkeeping situation them beating too many top tops sides similar to the world cup the minute we faced any good teams belgium croatia we swiftly got dealt with and i can see that happening again yeah we lost in the uh, nations league to to holland uh, you know the, when it went to the finals of the nations league mm-hmm. uh, we lost to holland there again another half decent side um yeah getting a better of us uh yeah depressingly so um a good answer and uh i guess we'll find out our next question is uh for nick uh, by um by Paolo Di Canrio at Rio Hoy, who asks, uh, hypothetically, if international teams could make signings from other countries, which position do England most need to improve? And who would you sign? I love this question. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, For me, it's a toss-up between a top goalkeeper and a top centre-back. I'm very tempted to go with a top goalkeeper because I I think no one's one's been that happy with with the goalkeeping situation for a little while. but I think Henderson's got promise, and 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 I don't think he, I don't, I think Southgate will stick with Pickford. But I think Henderson's got promise in terms of future. So I'm not going to go with the goalkeeper. I'm going to go with the centre back, mm-hmm. um, because I think that we have Stones, we have Maguire, but I don't think we have anyone who is capable of, of leading that defence uh, and and sort of changing our fortunes like um, certain defenders have for Liverpool and for Man City in recent years in the league. So for me, I'm going to go centre back and. Um, it was toss up between two, which was Van Dijk and Diaz. Uh, considering sure. his age and his performances this season, I've gone with Diaz. There you go, Diaz. Plus, would he, would, plus would he's he... got good chemistry as FIFA players like to say. With, Interesting, uh, got, with, uh, John Stones. Yeah, those were my two, along with Americ Laporte. That's who I would. I'd have picked yeah. one of those three myself yeah. as well. So great minds think alike. There you go. Okay. Uh, final question of the England Power Ranking section, uh, Jack. Ben Crawley asks, at Ben Crawley, great at, should the upcoming England fixtures be used to trial Gareth's best 11, i.e. his starting lineup for the Croatia game in June? Or should the fixtures be used to trial untested or new players? What do you do? Oh, it's, a, it's a tough one, this. I think you've got two fixtures. So I think you want to, where possible, try and get 
you know, a game where you can put out what you feel is your best eleven, and just to sort of see where they see where they stand. But ultimately, friendlies are to, to try things, um, and you you know you want to go into a tournament having different, being able to deploy different systems, different formations. And I think if England are to do well in this tournament, they're going to need to use different different formations and some different systems. And ultimately, I think we're forgetting here. Does Gareth Southgate know his best eleven? Because I don't know England's best eleven. I don't think anyone knows England's best eleven because it's such a, a cluster of all these amazing attacking players and dodgy defenders. So it's it's hard to to sort of pick what to do. Um, I think he needs to try and pick a core group of players which he knows are his starters, and then maybe rotate a couple of players in each in each game just to sort of get minutes and see, right, this is what Trent can offer, this is what Reese James can offer, and see how they weigh up. That's what I'd do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we've actually got three games looking at it, but one's a World Cup qualifier against Poland. Sure. So we can't play the uh, what you think is your strongest team in all the games, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I think you've got he's got to try out what he thinks is somewhere near his best team. I can't see why you would sort of throw Bellingham into the team and be like, oh, what, what can he offer? Like, I don't think that's the purpose of it. Mm. So, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right, then. So that's the England Power Rankings related questions. But let's not forget, um, we haven't discussed the actual rankings themselves just yet. So, Nick, for this week, who are your movers and shakers? So I'm going to focus this on um, purely on the under-21 squad that's been announced today. Um, check it out if you haven't seen it. I think we re- re- retweeted it earlier on our uh, Twitter feed. We did indeed. Um, uh, so yeah, have a look at that. Um, we're gonna ha- we're gonna speak about this in more depth next week, hopefully, um, in terms of the under twenty one squad and who's in it. Um, but just a, a couple of notables, I suppose. Um, so Hudson Adoy and Mason Greenwood both included in the under twenty one squad. Um, so the under twenty one Euros, um, the squad, the group stage is being played at the, at the end of March during the international break, and the mm. knockout stage is just before the Euros in the summer. So. There's no reason why a player can't be in the under-21 squad and also be in a senior squad. I just think it's highly, highly unlikely yeah. um, because they're basically missing out on these friendlies where Southgate's going to pick his team and pick his squad. So I would say that movers in a down direction is Hudson, Adoy and Greenwood because pretty much they're not going to make the squad now unless they do something um, drastic by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, on on the flip side of that, um, Jude Bellingham, Bakayo Saka, Reese James, uh, all eligible for the squad and potentially touted to be in the squad for the under 21s, right? Um, have been excluded, yeah. Uh, and AD Boothwood actually said today that, uh, in the case of Bellingham and I think James as well, that the reason they've been excluded is because they'll be picked for the senior squad, uh, in the March friendlies. So that's obviously very promising for those players, it doesn't, doesn't guarantee them uh, a spot on the plane or the train as we established last week, um. Uh, but it's definitely promising for them. So those three are, are on the up. Um, so yeah, we'll we, we, um, we'll see what happens with the squad, the senior squad that's I think going to be announced later this week. Um, but I expect those three to be in it. Yeah, great logic. I like that. Um, and as Nick alluded to, we do have a bit of a special on the horizon. Uh, next week we'll be focusing on the uh, incoming Euros uh, Under Twenty One tournament um, with a special guest to boot. But uh, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. And that's it for our England Power Rankings. Next, our last feature of the episode is the listeners' questions. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing for, for, fucking 
two. So the first question is, uh, well, it's Spurs related, so I've just, I've, I'm going to answer it and I'll make it quick because we've covered um, the subject matter already. So Christopher Irvin at Christopher underscore A underscore I asks, technically, which was Lamella's best Rabona? Probably the, probably the one in the Europa League. What the fact that he got lift on it and actually went like high high into the like it wasn't mm. top corner, but it was like middle to top of the of the, the right side of the goal. Do you know what I mean? To beat someone from the edge of the box. Yeah, that power. Yeah, mm. I think you've got to give it to the to the Europa League mm. to Europa League goal. Jack off air asked a good question though, didn't he, beforehand? Yeah, but I feel like you guys are under I don't know, maybe I'm really overrating the goal. No, it was like, an unreal me, goal. It was an unreal to me, goal. It's one of, like it's one of the best goals I've ever seen. It's better than any Rabona I've ever seen because it was a daisy cutter. You don't yeah. like everyone seems the the chipped Rabona. Chip yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. I've never seen like I don't know maybe there've been goals like it, but watching it live, I've never seen a goal like that before. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, I was like shocked. And yeah. there's not many things that can shock you when you've been watching football for twenty years. But I was sitting there and it goes in, and I'm I said like, I need to see a replay. Did did that? Did what I think I just see actually yeah. happen? It was a yeah. great goal. Yeah, yeah, I know I, what you mean. I'd pick I'd pick that one for that reason because it was like it was like brushed into the corner. It was so like yeah, it was it's so, so an unusual finish for that for that technique. It was it was strange, but um, to be yeah. fair, you, you barely ever see goals scored like that. Yeah. Let alone three from the same player to to have this debate. It's insane, isn't it? And just <laughs> a shout out to to one of our friends, Sean McSweeney, who actually posted on our WhatsApp group just after Lamella came on saying Lamella Rabona incoming. So brilliant, fair play. Mystic Mac. What are the lottery numbers next week, uh, Shona? <laughs> the next question, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to pose it to all of us, just for general conversation, really. Um, from Elliot Gray, who asks, was Arsenal's pen a pen yesterday? Granted, it didn't sway the game at all. Spurs were shite and thought the officiating in that game was poor. Also thought Lamella didn't deserve a second yellow for the challenge he got booked for. So there's a question there and a couple of statements. Let's tackle the first question. What, do you, what are your thoughts on the pen? Uh, let's go to uh, Nick. I thought it was a 100% penalty and I can't see why anyone would argue otherwise. Um, I mean, the first thing to say is obviously the ref gave it. So for VAR to overturn it, it'd have to be clear and obvious and it wasn't. But even that aside, I still think it's a penalty. Um, so there's two arguments that people keep making towards why it might not be a penalty. One is where because Lacazette hardly con- made contact with the ball and fluffed his shot. That's absolutely irrelevant. Like, it doesn't matter where the ball goes. It's just like if the ball went on target, the ball went wide, the ball went up in the air, it doesn't matter. If, if the defender's fouled a player, then it's a foul. So for me, where the ball goes is irrelevant. When did he, when did he foul him, though? When after, did he foul him? After the ball was kicked. After the action where he scuffed the ball the, the opposite direction. And so that's, that's like saying you, you can stand in the middle of the park and someone pass the ball and then defenders can come in flying and take him out after they've passed the ball. But he didn't... It, it, doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter where the ball goes. If a, if a did he take him out? In, did he take him out? Like he shot and then like... I mean, like with it, so that, that, that's maybe my second argument why you could you could say maybe it's not a penalty is that mm. you could argue that Sanchez has slid in front of Lacazette and Lacazette has has kicked Sanchez, but I I still don't think that was the case. It was a clumsy challenge, and he would he would have taken Lacazette out had Lacazette tried to control the ball, had Lacazette shot the ball on target. Yeah, but if he shoots the ball, if he shoots it. the ball on target. I think he still takes Sanchez... Lacazette out. Yeah, but he gets the ball. He blocks the shot. It's because he's no, fluffed, no way. He's... He was so late. He was so late to that. He was never blocking the shot. Hmm. And in, never, in any case, he didn't block the shot. So only because he's fluffed it in the literal opposite matter. direction. Do you tell me in the rules where it matters where the ball goes? 
If I'm well, honest, I'll, I'll say it earlier. I was saying it earlier. I wasn't sure. It was a funny, uh, it's a peculiar situation. I, I wasn't was. entirely sure my thoughts on it. I do know. I think. I think he's unlucky. I think if I do think that he's he's struck the ball, he's fucked it. Like like is it like skewed it left? He's then his momentum has taken him into a player who's trying to block a shot whose momentum collides with his, and then the the foul is given. I think it's unlucky. If anything, it's uh, I think, it's, I think it's like definitely it. unlucky. I think Lacazette is lucky. I don't think I don't think Sanchez is unlucky. I think it's a diabolical challenge. So it was ridiculous choice. Diabolical, right? So no, in terms not of having choice, that. In terms of choice, let me interject, no, let me interject and, and add a bit of a different view here. I think it's one of them. If it goes against you, you're livid. If it goes for you, you think, oh, that's a penalty. My initial uh, reaction was penalty. Having seen it again and again and again, I never think that's a penalty in a million years. It's just not a penalty. And I, I hear what you're saying, Nick, I get it. But as I don't know what Davinson Sanchez meant, is meant to do, he's trying to block the shot. Um, Lacazette has fluffed the lines, and I understand what you're saying, that's irrelevant, I get that. But Lacazette's m- momentum has has collided with Sanchez. Sanchez has made a legitimate attempt to try and block the shot or get the ball. It's just not a penalty. And the way Lacazette goes down, please. It's just, it's just not a penalty. I'm sorry, if, if we... What are defenders meant to do now? Can they not try and block the shot anymore? No, I, my, my, it's my a, counter it's, to that. He's trying to block it. This is my, my counter to that is that how many times do we see like a left back with the ball? They clear the ball up the line and then a striker comes in afterwards and catches their foot because they've cleared the ball and, they, and it's always a foul all day long. So because this is in the box, I don't see why it's any different. He's tried to block the ball, yeah, but, he ha- but he's collided with the, with the, with the attacker. But I'll say the. But we're but saying the attacker collided into him as much as he collided into the attacker. It's like a six and a half dozen. The other. Moving, yeah, they were both moving entities. Mm. Usually, the a, a fullback is relatively prone clearing the ball, and the attacker is charging them down. In this, you had Lacazette going through on goal. Sanchez behind him. So, you know, he could see Laca was shaping up to shoot. Sanchez has made a last ditch tackle to try and block the ball. And yeah, there's been a slight collision. If anything, Lacazette is lucky that he he fluffs the shot because that's what creates the penalty ultimately. Uh, but I don't think it does because I think even if Lacazette got that shot right, Sanchez wasn't blocking it. Okay, so let me ask you this: Say Lacazette makes good contact with the with the ball, and Loris makes a save, and there's no no goal comes of it. Would penalty you still? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and, I, and I've got a massive bugbear with that because. But it wouldn't whether be given. A, though, would a it? Shot, I don't know, but whether a shot, whether a shot. Is, well, your bugbears come around because it's a, they're not given. That's yeah, it. but yeah. but I still think it is a penalty. And that I would agree with you. Then it, it should still be given as a penalty. Mm. I, you know, whether or not the shot is the shot made is or yeah, not. Exactly. I just hope that the fact that the the connection wasn't made clearly. I hope that didn't have any implication on the penalty being yeah, given. I, I, and that's I, where I want to know. You know, I want to know what VAR and Michael Oliver yeah. are saying because where we don't have that context, it creates an argument either way. And that's yeah. what we need to know. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think that the fluffing the shot should have any bearing on whether it was a penalty or not. I just I just think it's irrelevant whether the ball was on target or whether it, whether it wasn't. Like I said, I think it's a peculiar... Yeah, it was a strange it's, scenario. And I think it? Jack put it nicely when he said it's, it's all about perspective and maybe who you're rooting for to a degree and you, you see it in a different way. So, uh, no, a good question, um, Elliot. Um, our next is for Jack. 
um, who uh, from Stephen Willett at Stephen underscore Willett, who asks, Moyes has received a lot of criticism after setting up so defensively again, uh, yesterday, like he did against Liverpool. Is he right to receive this criticism? Oh, this is a bit of a hard one. I don't really know what you want from David Moyes. He's, um, he's a decent coach, but he's a decent defensive coach. That's what he does. It's what he did at Everton for 10 years. It's one of the reasons why he didn't succeed at Manchester United because he, he can't coach a team that can ultimately like, you know, take the game to the opposition and to play creative attacking football and to play on the front foot. Mm. You know, his success at West Ham this year has largely been based around Mikel Antonio and Thomas Suchek, two of the more physical players in the in the Premier League. Obviously, we know Lingard's come in and he's done well. Um, I don't really know what he's meant to do. He's going away. You know, Manchester United, it's still Manchester United, and they've got such... You say they play a really nice high line and they try and take the game to Man U. Well, then you've got Martial, Rashford running in behind. Like, what do they want? I don't know. I just feel that ultimately when you go to places like Manchester United and play a team like Man U with the, the, the pace that they have on, on the counter-attack and the way that they've had success with the counter-attack, you're crazy to go there and try to to to, to play a high line and attack. To me, anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think if I was to ask you, what's Man United's biggest strength? Like it's counter attack. So yeah, pace. Why, why, why yeah. would you take? A, you don't take a game to them because <laughs> no. like we saw what they did with City, even. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I completely agree. And on Man United, we have a question from a Man United fan, Jack Ellis. Uh, for Nick, who asks, on a scale of Danny Drinkwater to Mason Mount, how good is Connor Gallagher? <laughs> Certainly not Danny Drinkwater. Um, what, Premier League winning D- Danny Drinkwater. Uh, forget it. Uh, on loan in Turkey now, Danny Drinkwater. Um, I, I, I really like Connor Gallagher. I think um, he can do just about anything for a midfielder. He's, he's good in the tackle. He's got good discipline. He can get forward. He's got a really good eye for goal. Great strike. Um, has got so much energy, he will just run and run and run for days. And in that sense, he reminds me of Mount a little bit. Uh, in that he, he's, he must be a manager's dream to play with. Um, he's done really well in his, in his couple of loan spells he's had. He went to Charlton at the start of last season and hit the ground running, scored six goals, two assists uh, early on. And then he basically, well, Chelsea basically decided that Charlton wasn't the best place for him because they were faltering a little bit. And so moved him to Swansea under uh, Steve Cooper, as we've said. And he did really well there as well and, and pushed for promotion with them. I always hoped for a Premier League loan this season. West Brom wasn't really the team I'd hoped for, but we've said earlier on that though that age, the, the number of senior minutes is the most important thing. And he's playing every game so far and he's been one of their better players this season. Um, he played under Bilic and, and he's playing under Allardyce. So I think that, that proves that obviously both managers like him, see something in him. Um, yeah, whether, whether he'll come into the squad for Chelsea next season I don't think so um, especially with Tuchel coming in and us having a massive squad already but it wouldn't surprise me if it is another uh, another loan spell at a club higher up in the Premier League or even abroad um, I just think it's going to be tough for that next crop of youngsters to break through with, with the current ones already been in the squad but um, yeah as I said I, I really like him um, manager's dream and has got, got a bit about him yeah cool our fifth question goes to Jack. It's by Sean McSweeney at Sean Mux. Um, after last night's shambles, which derby is the biggest in the world? Uh, sorry, in world football, and why? 
Oh, I, this is a great question, and I don't want to give sort of a really. I knew you'd like this one. That's why I gave. This is why I gave it to this you. Is, yeah, <laughs> this is me. Um, so, let me preface this by saying I'm in no way a football hipster. This doesn't come from me trying to be clever and trying to be sort of intriguing. Sure. But there's one derby that I always try to watch if I know that it's on. I see it on Twitter that it's coming up. I always make an effort to watch it, and that derby is the Super Classic which is Boca Juniors against River Platte. Yeah. I love it. And th- th- it has everything to me what a derby is. Hatred, toxicness, the players hate each other. The, the players can barely get in the stadium because the fans are throwing all sorts at the, the, yeah. the coach coming in. That's the beautiful game to me. You know, kids are crying when their team loses. <laughs> I love it. I can't get enough. And I know I sound like a maniac here, but I love it. I love the 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 Argentinian footballing culture, the the atmosphere they create, it's so good. It's so special. And it's that to me is like the heartbeat of what football is. It's a, it's, it's a throwback to sort of football from, say, 20, 30 years ago before the Premier League. It, it's old school and it's authentic. And that's why I would say that one. Yeah, great answer. I mean, Nick, have you got any uh, derbies you want to give a shout out to? No, to be fair, that one came to mind when I saw the question, actually. Um... The other one that always sticks to my mind is, is when Sunes put the flag in the middle of the pitch. Uh, yeah. Oh, like, love it. That's, that's always a good Epic. one as well. But, um, so good. Yeah. I'd be interested to get your views on, on UK derby. Well, I think the, the old firm. Um, that was, yeah, that was my other one. Yeah, it mm. shares that animosity that you, you, you mm. kind of mentioned, uh, mm, Jack. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, always, it comes down to like, it's like cities and areas where like all they do is live and breathe that football and, and, and the, it goes deeper than the football. Like, obviously, it's also very political, isn't it? Yeah, Rangers and Celtic has got a lot of politics and religion behind it as religion, well. So it's like yeah. it's even more than just football. It's um, yeah. I mean, for instance, in Glasgow, they can't Asda have to be a different colour. They can't be green because um, Rangers fans won't go in it. And I think same with Tesco can't be blue and things That's like that. Great. So, Love that pettiness. Love yeah, it. Exactly. Oh yeah. Nah. Um, yep. Good question. Like that one. Alrighty, next question for uh, for Nick Wing at rwing ninety two X asks: Can we say Eden Hazard's move to Real Madrid has been one of the worst transfers of all time? Financially, he says, and in hindsight, is Nick happy Chelsea sold him when they did? Uh, it, it probably has been one. Well, in terms of cost to minutes and and uh, value on the pitch, yeah, sure. it's, it's been an awful transfer so far. Um, and obviously, in hindsight, yes, I'm glad because. If he'd been injured like he has been at Madrid, then he wouldn't have been playing and we would have lost out on 100 million. But um, things don't always work out like that. At Chelsea, who's to say he would have been injured? He, he may not have been. And in another world, another time, he may have gone to Madrid and not been injured and, and I'm mm. sure he would have absolutely hit the ground running and, and been unbelievable for him. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm never going to say I'm happy that Eden Hazard went. Um, he's one of the rare cases, actually, in... in Chelsea's history where we've sold a player who's who's been at their prime or, or sold a player where we probably wouldn't want would have wouldn't have wanted to sell the player anyway. Mm. I think probably Iron Robin's the only one I can think of where he's left sort of where Chelsea probably wouldn't have wanted him to. Um so yeah, I I, I would never say yes, it was the best decision or the right decision to sell Hazard because I, I love the bloke, I think he was magical what he could do with the ball. Um but obviously in hindsight it's an easy thing to say that it's it's been a, a good transfer for Chelsea and it's worked out. Now to our last question. It's for Jack. Uh, Jamie Boom at Boom underscore Jamie asks, Moisey, he spelled it like Moise. 
It's like, that's not how you spell Moise, is it? I'm thinking like S-I-E. He's gone for S-E-H. Anyway, Moise believes that um, Declan Rice is worth more than 100 million. What are your thoughts, Jack? Mm, um, I don't think he's worth 100 million, let alone more. It's like a typical like, England, English player hype, isn't it? No, so listen, I get like what David Moyes is trying to say. I think he's trying to preface it in terms of his importance to West Ham, the fact that he's the captain, the fact that he's sort of their, their, their talisman. Um, mm. But I struggle to think of any way in which a defensive midfielder could be worth that amount of money. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Declan Rice is a tremendous talent and I think he could play for any of the top top teams in Europe, let alone England. I think he can you know, be that good. But 100 million is a little bit crazy. I think if you, if you, you know, I was to say, what sort of price tag would I be happy? Say Liverpool went and bought Declan Rice this summer. How much would I say? Yeah, that's a good deal. I wouldn't want to go much north of sort of 65 million for him, which I think is sort of what Chelsea were offering around that. You might know more than me, Nick, in, in the yeah. summer just gone. Yeah, I think, I think, um, that's probably about right. I'd say like West Ham probably going to slap like an 80 million tag on there and clubs looking for him are probably going to say, let's go 60 and then they'll probably end up meeting somewhere in the middle. So um, a realistic fee of sort of 70 to 75 million. But even now in a COVID world, whether that's realistic or not, I'm not sure. But um... as, as Jack said, that um, obviously he was in the press in the summer um, being touted to Chelsea. He was on holiday with the Chelsea players. Um, do you think that will happen, that transfer? Will you be happy if it does happen? And yeah, to, uh, to, to extend on Jack's point, how much would you be w- uh, wanting to buy him for? To be honest with you, I would, if, if he came to Chelsea, I couldn't care less about how much we paid him for him because I'm not paying for him. But so. you're a Chelsea fan, so you, you wouldn't care, would you? <clears throat> Money's well, an object. Why would any club care about the transfer fee that their club pays? Um, so uh, how buoyant the club's finances are is an integral part of the sustainability of said club. The, the club not when you've got a Russian oligarch. <laughs> the, the club won't go going for him. It's not that's my sustainable, point. So we'll carry on. Um, <laughs> it's not happy. Yeah, I mean, him, him on holiday in the summer was a funny one, but I think you got to, you got to remember that he was released from Chelsea when he was, I think, sixteen. So he's obviously he's mates with all those people anyway mm. uh, outside of the professional game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know if it will happen now. I, I don't think it will, to be honest. Um, oh really? Lampard leaving. I think that was a massive, um, a massive reason why Chelsea wanted him. And actually, it was reported when Lampard was sacked that um, the, the board weren't happy with his constant badgering to go and get Rice. So, right. um, so I, I don't think it will happen now. Um, uh, but I, I can still see him moving to to uh, to a top club. Um, I just, yeah. I'm just not actually sure it'll be this summer. Now, I, I, at the beginning of the season, I thought dead so he was coming to Chelsea next next summer, um, and if not, he would leave some for somewhere else. But actually. I think West Ham, with their trajectory, I think he might stay there for another year. Um, uh, and, and then I, th- I think he's one of those players that if he, if he gets to a point where he knows West Ham aren't going to go any further and aren't going to win anything and challenge for Champions League and things like that every year or get in the Champions League every year, then, then um, which is unlikely, I think, then he'll, then he'll want to move to, to a bigger club. And I don't think he'll hesitate to move to another Premier League club. I think he he needs to be playing Champions League football as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's hard when you know you, you. He's obviously the captain of West Ham, and I think there, there's naturally going to be a big part of him that wants to to stay at West Ham for as long as he can and be the guy there. But you know, for a player of his ability, and this isn't me trying to you know have a little shot at West Ham, 
you need to be in the Champions League. That's where all the best players go. And if he is to fulfil his potential, I want to see him playing sort of defensive midfield away at the new Camp, not sort of turf more. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I agree. And, and I do think there's a test for him in there as well, because you can, um, and again, this is no disrespect to West Ham, but, but they're, they're a very organised team and everyone knows their, knows their position and knows what they've got to do. They're, they're very well drilled and the spaces between players aren't very big. So it's a lot easier for a defensive midfield player sitting in there to, to look better and perform better when they've got lots of players around him. Um, it would have been really interesting to see him at the beginning of this season on the Lampard where we were playing quite expansive football with a sort of a lone defensive midfield player and to see how he would have coped with that, with, with having that pressure on him as that sole person to do that job. We see that um, um, he's played for England in the past and he's been in, in a bit more of a, yeah, let's say, a less uh, structured side. And I, I've never been overly impressed with his performances for England. Um, made the mistakes on the ball, um, not being as, uh, like you say, with West Ham, he's, uh, he's, he seems to always be in the right place at the right time, doesn't he? Um, yeah, whereas yeah. Um, less so for the national team when he's played it's obviously few and far between um, hasn't played that many times yeah. so yeah Jury's I'm not Jury's not out I mean he's a talented player it's just like you say like if he played for a, a more expansive side does he, does he look as good as he does uh, for what he's in a very organised uh, uh, West Ham team I do think he's one of them players though who will get better with the the more the challenge is in front of him the more he'll improve sure he, he seems like that sort of person to, to always improve always dedicate himself to the game and the team and, and I think I've, I've said before the world is a oyster in terms of football I think if he, if he continues the way he's going but um, it definitely he definitely needs that move or, or that needs that move into the Champions League football to, to reach the next level well maybe uh, Rice's agent's listening and uh, he'll be off in the, in, in the summer and on that note that's the end of the Wembley Way uh, episode 9 Jack full episode how's it feel? Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, try, I'm just trying to learn more about international football, and to be completely honest. I'm not, you know, disclaimer to the listener, a lot of that I was winging it. But I hope I got away with it. Um, but no, I, I am getting why don't, why don't you? What's, what's your issue with international football then? Like, explain to me. Uh, I've just, I've always, I've always been a, a club person. I've always loved club football. Um, I think I, I, I was very much into my England up until the end of Sven. Never really liked Capello. Couldn't stand Roy Hodgson for Liverpool reasons. So sure. I could just could. To me, you have to be able. To, for me to like really like a team, you've got to be able to identify with it and to get behind it. And that is why I do. You know, I, I like this England team. I do like Gareth Southgate. He's a likable guy. It was nice to see England winning on penalties after what he went through, sort of twenty years. Uh, 10 15 years whatever into the past so sure uh yeah i'm just you know i'll watch it but i don't particularly get into it too much it's all right well maybe you uh if we have you on more we might see like uh maybe you you're you're warm up to the idea of the summer tournament and as it you know when it starts you could be with us singing three lines on the shirt yeah but the long-term plan is for me to sort of be in trafalgar square um (laughs) sort of tins of some sort of English ale and <laughs> sort of trying to trying and failing given my weight to, to climb on one of the uh, the lines <laughs> and making a real show of myself um, singing some sort of England song. That's well, that's now my main objective of the pod is to get you that into it, that we get a photo yeah. of you straddling a bronze, you know, creature. Uh, yeah, St. St. George's flag tattoo. Yeah. yeah, maybe dressed up as one of the knights. Maybe I'll learn <laughs> to play the trumpet and I can join the England band. Who knows? 
We're oh. going to have like Ben, the journalist, is going to be doing like a live video uh, yeah. report, and Jack's going to be on top of like the, the Trafalgar Square, uh, like the uh, like the Stan Collymore uh, videos, and he was over in Paris. <laughs> yeah. exactly. yeah, I'm a journalist. Yeah. I'm a journalist. Jack's going to be running at him with knuckle dust. Yeah, exactly that. It's <laughs> all so good stuff. And on that note, uh, please subscribe to our podcast uh, feed, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Please uh, keep them coming in. They really, really do help. Share us uh, to your friends on social media. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Wembley Way. And remember to check out our website for previous episodes and those uh, England squad power rankings. And that's at thewembleyway.com. Thank you very much. I've been Tom. I've been Nick. And I've been Jack. There you go. What you sounded so like unsure about that. Well, are you, are you on Jack? my sc- on my screen, you were pointing the other way, and <laughs> for some bizarre reason, it conf- threw me off. I was expecting you to point at me. <laughs> and we've been the Wembley Way. Good night. Yeah.